Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome back to Growth Island. Today, I got Dr. Sandra Delton Smith on. He's a medical doctor. She's also an expert on how do we actually live a good life? How do we make sure that we don't get stressed out? How is that thing called rest that most of us think is just about sleep? Actually, there's more to that as well. She gave a TED talk about that TEDx talk. She's been on the biggest shows from Fox to Fast Company to Dr. Osho and many other places where, yeah, basically you need to be an expert to come and speak. So I'm really excited to, uh, to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about how you went from being uh, focused as a normal doctor to now working with, you can say, mental health, rest and so on. Yes. Well, I burned out is the simple answer. So I was in, I've been in practice for over 20 years and about two, probably 10 years or so into that process, I got to a place where I had two small kids and a busy medical practice and just all the things on my plate at the same time. And I really didn't have any system or strategy in place for recovery or um, any burnout prevention, stress management, none of that. I was just going to keep pushing and pushing And I pushed to the point that I was just exhausted, not happy with my career, not happy with anything, really, (laughs) with life in general. Well, that's the pain from experiencing yourself is often the best outlet for getting someone moving. You Mm -hmm. you wrote this book about rest, sacred rest, recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity. What the... What's that about? I'm guessing that's from some of these experiences and what you've been doing the the last many years. Yes. So after that episode of burnout, when I really, really got truthful with myself about where I was at, I started this process of looking at how do I recover my life? Because I realized if I had done certain things to get to that place, that I could also make other choices that would move me in the direction I wanted to go. So I started looking at why am I so tired all the time? And what can I do about it? Really, the initial thought process to that is, okay, if you're tired, you must just need more sleep. And so that's where I started. I started with, let me just try to get those required seven, eight, nine hours of sleep. But I was getting that. I made a concerted effort to get specifically eight hours of sleep every night. And for someone who was only getting five, that was a miracle. And I was still waking up exhausted. And it's a really desperate place when you think you have the solution, (laughs) then you do it and it's not working. And so that's when it started to dawn on me, okay, if sleep is not solving this and I feel like I'm getting plenty of sleep, then there's something else that's exhausted and I need to figure out what that is. And so that led to the research that led to the seven types of rest that show up in my book, Sacred Rest. Fantastic. What are those seven? So I've seen your TED talk, uh, Mm -hmm. really interesting in looking at recovery in different ways. So from where I'm coming from, it's mostly been looking at sleep, food, movement, uh, the mental part, um, and some Mm -hmm. of it goes into your framework, but you put it up in a different way that I found quite insightful. 
Yeah. So those seven types, I'll just name them and then we can dive into whichever you'd like to. So they include physical, mental, spiritual, social, emotional, and creative. And physical is the one that has different dimensions to it. It has a passive component that includes things like sleeping and napping, what I call the cessation activities where you stop everything. But physical rest also has an active component that includes things, as you mentioned, like movement, leisure walking, massage therapy, stretching, foam rollers, all of those things that improve the circulation and the lymphatics and include really your muscle flexibility. Those actually help the body heal and restore as well. So we can't just put it all on sleep because then you're really missing out on these other components of rest that are available to us. That makes sense. That resonated a lot, at least with my own experience as well, being that, and also like sleep matters a lot, exercise, but it's not going all in all the time, like going mm -hmm. all in on. I'm doing the primal health coach right now with Mark Sisson, where he talks like that's actually a problem in our society that too many people are chronic fatigue or chronic exercises. So mm -hmm. that the cortisol levels are constantly so high instead of having a few days a week. <clears throat> and then as you're saying, um, stretching, uh, walking and so on. Yeah, my husband's an ultra marathon runner, so he's the type that likes to do the 50 milers and the 100 milers and which to me is crazy. I'm excited when I finish a half marathon at 13 miles, but he really is into these kind of extreme sports and now working on triathlons. And he's one of the people that kind of gave me a lot of feedback when I was looking in the early stages of this research, because for him to be able to actually stay at that level of performance, if he doesn't take the rest days, which he didn't want to. As you can imagine, most athletes are like, let me just keep running. He didn't want to take those breaks, but it was breaking his body down. He, yeah. he really could not get stronger because the strengthening, that resilience only comes when you rest. You actually have to stop for a muscle to grow, to rebuild. If you keep breaking it down, you're just going to get weaker, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's really that balance that we hear about everything. What about mm -hmm. breath work? Is that part of uh, the physical as well? Breath work, actually, I include that over into mental rest. Just to give an example, sometimes people will send me an email and say, hey, my husband or whoever's not resting, he goes out and does this jog, and how can that be rest? Well, you have to take a look at what that person is actually resting in that moment. Physically, their body's not resting if they are in a full-on jog. Mm. But for a lot of people, if they, have, if they struggle with mental rest, then things like jogging or running actually make them concentrate more on their breathing and their cadence. And so their mind actually focuses in very tightly on a specific activity. And when it does that, it clears out some of that other mental regurgitation that we do. And so for me, breath work has a big part in mental rest. So you're physically using your body, but what happens is you're focusing your concentration and it keeps you from having those ruminating thoughts or kind of that regurgitation of information in the headspace. Makes sense. And breath work, is there any specific ways like box breathing, Wim Hof breathing or others that you found to be specifically helpful or advise people to do? I, it really just depends on the person and their goal. For a lot of people, breath work is calming. And so because of that calming aspect of it, it's a matter of seeing what feels comfortable for you. 
interestingly enough, with COVID and everything that's happened, and you know, a large part of the population has experienced it to some degree. And if they actually develop the virus, then their lungs get have such a change in the capacity that I find that breath work actually sometimes becomes part of the therapy in that kind of retraining that lung capacity. Fantastic. So mental, what else is in that category that we have to be aware of? Mental rest also includes mindfulness type activities. It's important to really be aware if you are someone who lays down to go to sleep at night and your headspace won't turn off. You're thinking about the activities you have to do the next day or to-do list, or you're even thinking about maybe conversations you had earlier that day to be aware that that's a sign of mental unrest your mental space is too full. And for a lot of us, that is bred in how we use our devices. If I, when I ask people how many um, tabs are open on their computer screens, many people will come back with five plus. Yeah. Most people, it's well over five. I had IT company I spoke for who the average was closer to 25 to 50 for most of their employees open at one time. And when you think about that, when our mental space is trained to jump from tab to tab, information to information, it doesn't breed concentration. It actually breeds a very scattered mental capacity. And so that's what we're having to untrain to get people to get to mental rest, to be able to close even some of your headspace mental tabs so that you can concentrate better. If you're 35 and you walk into a store with four items you're trying to buy and you can't remember all four without jotting them down, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal to be that, have that poor of a capacity to hold on to information. I think a lot of us, have, uh, our attention span has gone down. I remember hearing mm -hmm. some numbers about like how it's becoming worse and worse year after year and how we can only hold our attention for such a short time span now. So true. And the thing with that is there's constant reasons that we need to be learning. Electronics or technology, all these things are constantly changing. So we have to maintain our ability to be able to learn and retain information. And so when we're training our brain to multitask, it actually un is undoing that ability to learn and to retain information. Yeah. Yeah. How about gratitude journaling? Does that go in? Oh, I love gratitude journaling. Uh, specifically, I love it as uh, it, it works in two ways. It works in both a type of mental rest as well as it works for emotional rest. Emotional rest is when you are, you feel the freedom to express what you're feeling in whatever way you want to do that. It can be verbally with a therapist or a counselor or a friend, or it can be written. And so journaling plays into that part of it where you're writing down those emotional emotions and being very authentic. And so with gratitude journaling, I like that because sometimes what I find is people, they aren't expressing the bad, but they're also not expressing the good. And I think it's important to reflect on both. So you would actually do more journaling instead of only gratitude journaling? Yes. Yeah, so it depends on the person. If you're someone who, let's say you live alone and there's few people in your circle that you feel open with sharing kind of your deepest feelings, then being able to journal that sometimes can be very releasing. 
One of the tactics we use for mental rest is something called brain dumping. And so typically when people hear that, they think, oh, I have this to-do list or brainstorm idea that hit my head. So I need to dump that onto a piece of paper. But brain dumping also works if you're having ruminating thoughts about something. Let's say if you have a, let's say you have an argument with your boss at work and something about that argument is staying in your psyche. So you're trying to go to sleep, but you're thinking about everything they said and how you said it and how you wish you said it different and all that conversation. Well, what you can do is rather than keeping all of that in your headspace, which is going to keep you from sleeping, is actually jot down not what the conversation was, but how the conversation made you feel. What did it awaken in you? Did it make you feel like you were not adequate? Did it make you feel like you were a loser? What was it that it made you feel that now has you unable to let it go? And so by jotting that down, it allows you to get it out there so that you can at least process it and move from it. Interesting. But I definitely find journaling powerful myself. I do the gratitude journal every night. Um, <laughs> they write it down on my phone. I've been doing that since 2013. Or I share it with my girlfriend before we go to bed. We share things that we are grateful for. Yeah. So that leads to you have something called social as well. Social rest is the rest we experience when we're around people that we enjoy, life-giving type people. And so it's important to just recognize that people are either pulling negative from our social energy or they're positively pouring back into it. And so the majority of the people in our lives, the ones that we love, our families, our kids, our spouses, our parents, coworkers, even clients, all of those people are needing things from us. So they are negatively pulling from your social energy. Doesn't mean that they're negative people. It's just the nature of the relationship. And so it's important that adults understand the importance of adult friends and having people in your life who really don't need anything from you. You just enjoy hanging out with them. You enjoy their company, you enjoy their presence, and that there's energy that's actually restored to us when we have those types of relationships. Now, you can experience social rest from your kids and your spouse and these other people, but usually that's very intentional. I always love for couples when we're thinking about social rest to find some time that they're actually face-to-face -face with each other. A lot of the studies we looked at showed that most couples are only eye to eye with each other when they're arguing. Mm -hmm. So they That's fall in good. love eye to eye. And you're looking into each other's eyes across the table. You fall in love, you get married, then you get have kids and jobs and all the things. And then you're more eye to screen and eye to other people. And the only time couples were eye to eye after they got married was when they were arguing. So when they're fighting with each other, they're in each other's space, but otherwise they're not. And so that's something we're always trying to make sure that couples are aware of, that you can experience social rest with your spouse or your significant other, but you have to be intentional about that, to turn away from the screens and actually look at each other and have conversations where you're looking into each other's eyes, because there is a connectivity and there's that power and presence that, that helps feed that social rest. That sounds very powerful. And I wouldn't be surprised about the, that that's actually the case that people don't look in the eyes any longer. So that, that, I guess, is also a good explanation for why relationships are not going that well. Yeah, and I, 
It's funny because every time I'm in a restaurant, I always look around to see how people are engaging. And oftentimes when you see these older couples with the gray hair and, and the canes and all of that, when they're sitting at dinner, they're like into each other. They are like leaning in and they're looking at each other. You even see them holding hands sometimes. And you see these younger couples and everybody's down in their devices. Everybody has their iPhone or, or Android or whatever it is out. And their eyes are straight down into whatever that is. And we that's not healthy social rest. And it doesn't foster good relationships. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. What is, I think we have time for one more because I know you have a busy schedule, but I got, I think your assistant to commit a few more minutes. So what's the last one that we can get in? Well, I would probably say, well, there's two I would probably hit on that are big for most people. One would be sensory rest. Sensory rest is just downgrading some of the sensory input. Being aware, we talked about it a little bit, the devices, how much time we spend on them. And then honestly, being aware of how the sensory input is around your environment. So are you around a lot of bright lights? Are there a lot of sounds in the background of wherever you work? Are you having to do a lot of time online? Being aware of that and then trying to downgrade as much of that as possible, even if that means turning off some of your notifications on your devices and doing what we call time um, blocking so that you're not looking at social media every time the app sends you a notification. You've time blocked it and maybe a couple of times a day, you purposely choose to go into the social media app or email or whatever it is to prevent your mind and your really your senses from being bombarded with all of the notifications and those dings and bings that come on your devices. And then the last would be creative rest. And that's the rest we experience when we allow ourselves to appreciate beauty in whatever form. So that could be natural beauty like the mountains or the oceans, or it could be man-made beauty like art or music or dance or theater. But we all need a creative influx. And so sometimes people will say, well, I'm not a creative, I'm not an artist or musician, so that doesn't apply to me. But if you're someone who is, innovative, having to think outside of the box, if you're having to solve problems, all of those are creative processes. And so there's a large number of people who are using a lot of creative energy in their day, and they're going to bed eight hours, but they're still tired. And the reason being is that they're not actually pouring back into that creative rest deficit. That is something I will focus more on trying. I definitely feel it when I go for um, a run. And mm -hmm. we have a place close by, which is like nature, semi-forests, and something else just happens. There's both the movement, but being in that environment just feels different than when I'm running in the city, and that I get full of energy and, and full of yeah creativity in a different way. Yeah, and that's a great example of, of how the rest can merge together, because you mentioned running. Running in itself is work. You know, there's nothing relaxing necessarily about running. Running is work, but mentally, your mind is probably clearing because of the breath work and concentrating on the cadence. And then depending on the environment, you are, in addition, getting that creative rest. And if you're doing it with friends, you might be getting some social rest at the same time. So you can combine these different areas together. It's just being really intentional and mindful about the type of rest that you personally need. Yeah. That is fantastic. Definitely something to go implement. 
Sondra, where can people find out more about you? My main website is at ichoosemybestlife.com. That's where they can learn about the book, Sacred Rest. And I welcome everybody to do the free assessment at restquiz.com. It lets them determine which of the seven types of rest they're most efficient in. You actually get a score so you can see where you rank in all of the different seven. And I always tell people, don't get worried if all of your numbers are high, just pick one. Because typically, if you're tired, if you can focus on just one of the seven types of rest, start getting that area restored, then you start feeling better and can then add on another restorative activity. Incredible. I will make sure to link to that and I will link to your social media as well. I know you have an Instagram that I've at least been uh, seeing some stuff from. So people can find you. That's going to be in the show notes. I always Excellent. end up asking if you had to give one to three final advice to the listeners on how to live a happy, healthy, and meaningful life. I think you alluded to uh, several things and it could be a sum up of that as well. Yeah. So the first thing would be to understand that rest is as important as the work. I think we put a lot of focus on checking off our to-do list and meeting our goals. And because we omit rest, we actually get to a place of burnout. So that would be number one. Number two is don't, whenever you feel tired, identify what kind of tired you are. Because unless you can identify the area of the rest deficit, you could end up getting rest in an area where you where it's not really the problem. And then the third thing is to what I call choose your best life. Make choices that actually align with your priorities and what you want to see. And so we have to get comfortable with our yeses as well as comfortable with using our no's. Fantastic. That's one of the things when I was researching you as, researching you as well that I saw uh, a nice good talk about learning to say no and how that's so important. I think that mm -hmm. is something way too many of us haven't learned uh, and I still have a hard time even though I see a, a good pep talk about it uh, and I read about it many times, um, but it's so powerful. Yes, I think it's important to understand that whenever we give a yes out of either shame or fear or obligation, that should actually be a no. Yeah, I think that's a good ending. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and uh, and sharing with me and the listeners. I know people are definitely going to benefit from this episode. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.